This morning, Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is that you're using to look at scriptures today, I need you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read quite a bit today. We're going to go from 10 all the way down to 18. Now we've read 10, 11, 12 every week so far. So you should just about have that memorized. Um, but we're going to go a little bit further today in this, in this message. Um, and so, so we're going to get going in that. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you can be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, we talked last week about the strategies of the devil. We talked last week about um, that there's been a spiritual battle uh, from Genesis to Revelation. We talked about how the enemy doesn't change his strategy. He may put a new skin on it. He may put a new uh, fresh coat of paint on it. But it's the same strategy from Genesis to Revelation we see happening even in our world today. The same strategies he had with Adam and Eve, he still has today. So it says in verse 12, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We talked in week one of the series about that verse. And we said that, that there is a spiritual unseen realm that a lot of times we may try to avoid, we may try to ignore, maybe we haven't been taught about it, but it's still there. Regardless of whether you've been taught about it or not, it's there. And so there's a reality there, there's a war, there's a battle happening that we may not be able to see. Verse 13 is where we're going to get started in today's message. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to uh, resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I want to pause there for just a second before we get into our main notes. Um, and I just want to, I want to hone in for just a second on the word resist. It says, um, you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Two things I want to point out. Number one, he, Paul says there is a time of evil. He doesn't say if, he says when, right? That there is a battle coming to your front door. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to put your head in the sand or you want to be looking out for it, there's a battle. There's a spiritual battle that's coming to you and it's coming to your family. It's coming to your community. It's coming to your neighborhood. It's showing up. And so Paul says we need to be ready when the spiritual battle comes, right? That there is a spiritual battle happening. But there's another word in there, the word resist. And, um, and I just want to focus on that word for just a second. Because it'll make sense later on. We'll use it again um, towards the end of the message. We'll, we'll talk about resisting one more time. The word resist is a military term in the Greek. And I think it's interesting that Paul puts this word in here. I think it's a very important word. Because the word resist means not only to just stand your ground. It means to um, violently stand your ground. Right? It, 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 doesn't, mean, um, it doesn't mean that I'm just uh, passively not moving it means I am actively not moving whenever an enemy is coming towards me. That I own this square and I'm not going to let anybody take it. Have you ever played King of the Mountain? Anybody remember King of the Mountain when you were a kid? Okay, there's like three people that remember King of the Mountain. I'm apparently very old, a lot older than I thought. Um, there used to be this game back when violence was okay to do in school, right? Um, back whenever we, we used to have real PE and real recess. Um, and so what you would do is you would find any hill, and that was the mountain. And if you could stay on top of the mountain, you were king of the mountain. 
But what happened, guys? I, I don't know if girls ever played this. I only ever played it with guys. Um, what happened, fellas, whenever you were on top of the mountain, what did every other boy try to do? Throw you off the mountain. And so you were getting bombarded with people trying to take you off the mountain. And it was your goal to resist those guys. Now, you didn't resist by going, now, fellas, please don't come up here and take my mountain. You didn't put your hands in your pocket, right? What did you do? You fought, you clawed, you scratched, you kicked, you punched, you tackled, you threw people off of your mountain. I was watching a video the other day, and, and, um, and, and this is the best, this is going to be the best illustration of the word resist and what the word resist means. And, and the reason I'm saying this is you're going to see in just a minute, we're going to go through the armor of God, but then we're also going to talk about the weapons, Now, see, if God only wanted you to passively, defensively resist, he would not have given you weapons. Why give someone weapons unless there's some kind of offense that has to be taken, right? And so there's a a video I came across the other day, and it was these uh, these burglars, and and they were very bold and brazen, and, and they wanted to break into an apartment. And so whenever they came to the apartment, they came to the ring doorbell or whatever, you know, and they ring the doorbell, and someone says, hey, I, I can't answer my door. And they said, well, we're trying to sell something, you know, and the guy obviously wasn't trying to sell anything. And, and so the man behind the camera says, hey, I, I don't want any. Please leave, you know, whatever. And so you see the, the guys, they kind of walk off and then, and then they come back. And when they come back, they've got um, one of them has a mask on and, and they start kicking the guy's door. They're trying to break into his house and they can't get the door to, to cave in. And, and you hear the the gentleman that owns the apartment telling them through the doorbell, please leave, stop doing this, I'm calling the cops, blah, blah, blah. They keep kicking. And then they, they get to the point where they start kicking backwards, trying to kick through the guy's door. And then all of a sudden, you hear gunshots. Pop, 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 pop. And those burglars started scattering. What happened was it w- there was a man on the other side of the door, and that man decided, I am going to resist these burglars by just shooting through the door. He didn't open the door. He didn't invite them in. He just shot right through the door, right? And so what was he doing? He was resisting an attack of the enemy. He had the barriers set up. There was defense applied, but whenever the defense didn't get the job done, he went on the offensive and he started shooting. And so here's one of the things I want to point out. The Bible says that you can resist the enemy in the time of evil. Notice it doesn't say you can hunt the enemy in time of evil. And what we've got today, in, in today's world, in today's culture, what I see a lot of, whether it's on, um, online or whether it's in person, is, is we always talk about this in our church. We talk about the spectrum of Christianity. We have a broad spectrum of Christianity with people on either end of that spectrum. And on one end of Christianity, you have people that totally avoid um, any conversation about spiritual matters. There's no such thing as demons, there's no such things as devils, there's no such things as spiritual warfare, and they totally avoid it, they put their head in the sand. On the other side, you've got another part of the spectrum that actively pursues it. There's guys out there, and I'm not saying these guys are right or wrong, if you've seen any of their videos, I I, I have no opinion about them as individuals or as ministers, but they label themselves demon hunters. And I just want to show you, biblically, there's no basis for that. There's no basis for that. And so you're going to come across stuff as you research and as you dive into some of this stuff, you're going to come across that. And I just want you to see, Paul says, we resist the devil, we don't hunt the devil. So what's the difference? It's the difference of uh, the guy standing his ground, shooting through the door. 
versus if he were to go outside and just go find random people on the street and say, you look like you could probably break into my house. I'm going to go ahead and shoot you in the kneecap right now. Right? That's what we call illegal. Can't do that. You know? I don't know if there's any country in the world where you can do that. And, and so that's the difference in the two. So we're, we're not out looking for demons. That's not the point. We're not out looking for a spiritual battle. Why do I not go look for a spiritual battle? The reason I don't go look for a spiritual battle is because Paul says the spiritual battle's coming to me whether I look for it or not. So I need to be ready and willing to resist when the time comes. And so that's what we're going to get into, verse 14. Uh, let's go 14 through 18, and then we'll talk about some of this stuff. It says this in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Everybody say belt. Wow, you guys are good. And the body armor, everybody say body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Everybody say shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield. Everybody say shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on uh, salvation as your helmet. Everybody say helmet. We're just going through them all. And take the sword. Everybody say sword. Of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Finally, it says pray. Everybody say pray. Pray, pray. In the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. We're going to start with armor. And what I've got today is a little... Um, this is a fake uh, body armor, right? Like this is for... Uh, if you shoot into this, you uh, will shoot through this, right? It's heavy. It's, uh, I don't know how many pounds, 20 pounds, something like that. Um, this is what we use for working out, right? Or this is what some people use for working out. I use this uh, for holding things down in my garage. Um, but but this is, this is an, an idea of body armor. And I, I just want to hold that up. I want to show it to you. I guess I can hold it up for this side over here. I want to show it to you because what we think of sometimes, when we think of the armor of God, we think of some old school Roman, right? With, with a cute little design on his chest or something like that. But I, I want you to see in the New Living, it calls it body armor. It's talking about armor. And we need to get an idea of what body armor kind of looks like um, and stop thinking of something old school and start thinking of what, what God's actually speaking to us. That, that there's a body armor we need to be wearing in the spiritual. And so, so I want to look at this um, for just a minute. We're going to go through all of the pieces of the armor. And, and I want to point one thing out. It says the armor of God. It doesn't say your armor or my armor. It says the armor of God. A cool thing I found, I'm not, I didn't include this in my notes, but if you look up the armor of God, most of us would just assume this is the only place in the Bible that talks about it. But in reality, throughout scriptures, Old Testament and New, there's more stuff said about the armor of God. There's more pieces that are mentioned in other parts of the Bible that I think are really cool. I just didn't have time to put them in my notes for this message. So um, let's talk first about the armor. So there's four areas that we're going to talk about today. If you want to go ahead and take notes. Um, number one, we want to talk about armor. Number two, we want to talk about weapons. Number three, we want to talk about authority. And number four, we want to talk about attitude. Those are the four areas we're going to mention today, all in these passages that we're going to go through. So the first thing was the belt. It was the belt of truth. Uh, I think it's funny, like when we think about a belt, we don't think about something important, but a belt is very important. If you've ever had your pants fall off in public, you know a belt 
is important, right? Um, some of y'all are shaking your head yes very sheepishly, um, which means you've had that happen to you. So belts are important. As a matter of fact, I think it's, uh, it's not coincidence that Paul mentions the belt first because the belt was the most important thing for the rest of the armor. If they did not have the belt in those days, then they could not put on everything else. Not only did the belt protect your midsection, um, it wasn't a little bitty belt like this that's not going to hold much up. It was a wider belt that they would have worn uh, to protect their midsection. It also, they, they talk about girding up your loins, which just means in those days they wore more robes than pants. And you would take those robes and pull them up and tuck them into your belt to create uh, a diaper. No, to create some kind, of, some kind of way where you could actually move your legs and fight and do stuff, right? And so you had to gird up your loins. You've heard that, that term before. So when he talks about the belt, the belt is important because the belt attaches everything else. It holds everything together and, and it, protects, it protects the deepest part of who you are. Did you know in the Bible times whenever someone says, that guy's got a lot of heart? Did you know the Bible's not talking about your heart? Typically what they meant was, that guy's got some really good kidneys, right? Like the kidneys were considered the central part, the deepest part of who you are. Somehow along the way we turned it into heart, like this thing that pumps in our chest, but it used to be this. So whenever we think about the the belt protecting the deepest part of who we are, and then think about what the belt represents, the Bible says the belt represents truth. Didn't David say in Psalm 51, God, you desire truth where? In the inmost parts. He wasn't talking about his heart. He was talking about his kidneys, his guts, in the inmost parts. And that's what the belt protects, is my inmost parts. Before I can put on any other piece of armor, I've got to have truth. Truth has to be the foundation of everything that I believe. It's got to be the foundation of everything that I do, in the spiritual and in the physical. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says this, verses 3 and 4, For a time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. So one of the things we want to do, and and one of the attributes I, I, I feel like needs to be a part of who our church is, and I feel like I put into our church as much as I can with my preaching, is I want to bring the truth of God's word, and build everything that we do on the truth of God's word, even if it, it hurts my feelings or attacks my traditions, right? And I'm more than willing to tell you that. Um, I want to make sure that we're based on truth. And so Paul said, I mean, Tim, yeah, Paul tells Timothy, he said, there's going to be people that will reject truths and chase after myths. But the Bible says that Jesus is the truth. The Bible says that the truth will set us free. And then in John 17, 17, I love this. Jesus praying says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I love that Jesus says that. He says, make them holy. The word holy there means to be set apart. In other words, what sets us apart from everybody else in the world? The truth of God's word. When we have truth as our foundation, that sets us apart from everything else and everybody else. The second part uh, of the armor is it's the body armor. And the body armor represents righteousness. It, some, some versions say the chest plate of righteousness. Uh, the New Living says the body armor of righteousness. And so, so once you have truth established as our foundation, the next thing that we have to have is righteousness. First uh, John 2.29 says this, Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Yes, I understand I'm saved by faith. I understand that it's the grace of God um, that, that I'm saved. I'm not saved by works. The Bible says, lest any man should boast about his good works. But there's a level of righteousness that I need to be living in. If I'm saved, if, if, if I'm born again, I don't want to, like Paul says to Timothy, uh, I don't want to continue to go back to uh, these youthful lusts. I don't want to stir up areas of desire and sin. I want to live a righteous life. I want right living as a part of who I am. Now, next week, uh, Perry and I are going to be co-preaching next week, and she's so excited about it. She's so pumped. Um, But next week, as we co-preach, we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about that. We're going to talk about the idea of, of um, open doors into your life, into your family, and what does that mean in, as far as how do I protect my house, um, and, and how do I live that righteous life and not continue, like Paul says, to, uh, to go into anything that stimulates youthful lust. I don't want to do that. I want to live a righteous life. As I rich, live that righteous life, that protects who I am. Another cool thing about body armor is this. If, if I were to put this on right now, there would be no mistaking that I was wearing it. You can't see my belt, so you're not sure if I have a belt or not. But if I put this on, you would definitely see it. Even if I were to put this on under my shirt, you would still see it poking through. For those of you that are police officers or, or you know a police officer or even some of our firemen that have to work with the SWAT team, whenever you put on body armor, even through your shirt, you can still see it. And whenever I live a righteous life, it's not a matter of bragging. It's not a matter of pride. But Jesus said, let your light shine so that other people can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when I live a righteous life, it's visible to everyone around me. And it makes a difference in their lives as well as mine. The other one that it talks about is the shoes. When it talks about our armor, it talks about the shoes. Um, and the shoes represent the gospel uh, and, and so Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that God, the God of Israel reigns. Revelation chapter 12, we used this verse last week. I don't have it in the notes today. But Revelation 12 says that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb represents what Christ did for us. And the word of our testimony tells people how he's operated in our life. And so here's the, here's the kicker. One of the best things you can do when it comes to um, a, a spiritual battle is take the gospel places. The most important thing is for us to preach the gospel. It's the most important thing. It's more important than, than laying hands on people, although that's good. It's more important than people getting healed, although that's good. But listen, at the end of the day, I can go to heaven with cancer, but I can't go to heaven without the gospel. And so this one is super important. You've got to have the gospel. If you're going to resist someone and you don't have on shoes, you're going to struggle. They're going to push you back. But if I've got shoes, I've got grip, I can stand my ground. It's important to have the shoes. The next one is the the shield, and the shield represents faith. Um, In in a practical sense, uh, in, in old school battles, one of the things that they would do is whenever two armies were going to war, 
One army would take their arrows, they would light them on fire, and they would all fire them at the same time up in the air. And that was meant to uh, cause panic and fear, because you, if you can imagine, if we were all sitting here today and you see a bunch of fiery arrows coming down, raining down on top of you, that's a pretty scary proposition. And so then people would take their shields and they would hold up their shields, and then those fiery arrows would hit the shields and stick in the shields. And when the arrows stuck in the shields, there's still fire on the outside of the shield. I just think that's an interesting thought because here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to give you fear, confuse you, tempt you, draw you away. Anything he can do to get you to run from the battle instead of standing your ground. Paul said resist and what he wants to do is cause you to leave. He, wants, he doesn't have to beat you. He just has to get you to walk away. And so the, the Bible says that, that there's a shield of faith. But here's the cool thing. The shield of faith extinguishes, puts out the fiery um, arrows of the enemy. So not only, what does that mean? That means if I've got faith, I'm holding it up like a shield, and I've got a bunch of arrows in that shield. That's kind of scary. It's all on fire. That's kind of scary. How many of you have ever been through a moment in your life of crisis when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when it seems like things are going the wrong direction and we immediately want to give up? There's a part of us that wants to give in. There's a part of us that wants to back up. If I could just, if I could just go, you know, uh, you know, self-medicate, if I could just get back with that person. And we want to go back to what we know. And what Paul's saying here is, not only does the shield protect you from the arrows, it also puts out the fire. It puts out the threat. So what does it mean to have faith like a shield? Faith like a shield. The word faith, we say this a lot, is, uh, it means fidelity or faithfulness. Jesus said this in, in Matthew. Uh, Jesus said that he that endures to the end shall be saved. There's a place where we have to endure, right? We have to have faithfulness. We don't give up, we don't give in, we don't quit. First John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this, through victory, uh, achieve this victory through our faith. There's one more piece of armor, and then we'll move on to the weapons. But the, the last piece of armor is the helmet. And, um, and typically we would say the helmet of salvation. But if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, it gives us a little bit more of an explanation. It says this, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate or the body armor of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, so what does the helmet represent? The helmet represents the hope of salvation. In other words, I protect my mind when the enemy comes against me like a flood, when the enemy's trying to pursue me, when he's trying to put negative thoughts in my brain, when he's trying to put temptation in my brain, when he's trying to make me um, full of anxiety and worry and doubt. One of the things I have is the hope of salvation. That I can say, I don't care what happens in this world, I've got hope. I've got hope that Jesus is coming again. I don't care what's happening in the Middle East. I don't care what's happening in the Ukraine. I don't care what's happening in America with the politics and the economy. I have a hope that's bigger than all of that stuff. My hope is not in politics. My hope is not in finances. My hope is not in um, world leaders. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And even if everything else burns to the ground, I know that heaven waits for me. I have hope. One of the things, Perry and I were talking to someone the other day, and, and we were talking about the, the, the concept of death. And one of the things Perry said is she said that Gabriel has a, a, a very practical but a very eternal thought process when it comes to death. And I do. Like, like for me, I don't, I don't necessarily want to die and I don't want any 
um, uh, well, most of you to die. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want anybody to die. That's not fun, right? But I have this, I have this idea of hope, and I understand the idea that, hey, even if I die, like Paul said, if I'm alive, I'm with Christ, but if I'm dead, I'm with Christ, therefore I have hope. So we can't let the enemy, we can't let the enemy bring fear and worry and anxiety when we have a helmet that protects our mind of hope of salvation. Let's get into the weapons and then, and then we'll get into the authority and then we'll get into the attitude real quick. Two weapons I want to mention that, that Paul says. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Bible, and we need the Bible, right? The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. I love this one. God says this, does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord. Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? God's word is one of our greatest weapons. It's a sword, it's a fire, it's a hammer, it's a scalpel. The God's word is amazing. But here's the problem that we face a lot of times when it comes to God's word is we fight with a dull sword. Adrian and I were talking the other day, and one of the things he was telling me was, is he says, he says, sometimes I feel like I have a dull sword because I don't know God's word good enough yet. I'm studying it, I'm learning it, I'm pursuing it, I'm consuming it, but I don't know his word good enough yet. We cannot fight a battle with a dull sword. One of the things I, as growing up my whole life, um, anytime my dad, I think, just was bored, he would get out a knife. And he would sharpen a knife, right? And he must have been bored a lot because he's got a lot of knives, right? And a lot of them are sharp. And so every time he would sharpen a knife, then he would always shave the hair on his arm with that knife just to prove how sharp the knife was. As old as he is now with his skin as thin as it is, if he did that, he would probably fillet his whole arm open. But the idea is, He kept his knife sharp because you never know when you're going to need it, right? One of my favorite stories, and and I hope I don't butcher this, and I know, okay, I got got a little bit of time. This is such a good story. Um, I wasn't there, but but Cowboy and Red, they were at a dinner one time. And when they were at this dinner, uh, the people that they were talking to were having some kind of marital issues, right? They were having some marital issues, and, and, and these guys were there counseling them. Now, if you need counseling... I'm about to give you a glimpse into what it's like being counseled by Cowboy and Red. So while they were there counseling, mom says something to the husband, I think, about whatever. And the guy just flies off the handle and starts telling my dad stuff like, how are you going to let this woman talk to me like that? And if, if she were my wife, I would slap her or whatever the case is. Like He starts kind of getting, getting uppity. And my dad did not stand up and hit the guy. My dad didn't fight the guy. Instead, my dad just pulled out a knife click and just begin to clean his fingernails with the knife it's amazing what happens when you pull out a sharp knife guess what stupid people get real quiet real quick right here's the point when you have a sharp sword when you have a sharp sword you can resist the devil a lot easier but if your sword is dull If the only word that you know is what I share on Sunday mornings, 
Buddy, you're going to struggle in a spiritual battle. You need more than what I give you. You need to dig in for yourself. You need to pursue God's word. You need to listen to it. You need to read it. You need to write notes about it. You need to study it. If you have a question about it, you can ask. There's plenty of people you can ask questions about God's word. What does it mean? What what do I need to know? Because here's what happens. When we don't know God's word, then the Bible says that we can drift off track really easily. We get caught up. What did Paul say? We get caught up in, in myths and legends and not in God's word. We got to know what God's word says. So we got to study God's word and learn how to use that as a weapon. How do I use that as a weapon? On the practical side, listen, sometimes you just got to quote God's word. When you're having thoughts, when you're going through a spiritual battle, when you're struggling and you're hurting, um, you got to just quote God's word. One of the things that I, I like to do is just, I, man, it, I will hone in on one verse and I'll quote it over and over and over. And it sounds like I'm a crazy person when I just quote the same verse over and over. But what I'm doing is I'm, I just continue to regurgitate and chew on the cud like a cow does, right? It may be the same verse, but I chew it up and consume it again. And I spit it up, chew it up, spit, and swallow it again. I just, it's just a matter of just keeping that word in front of me when I'm going through a battle. And for some of you, you may not need to know the whole Bible right now. Maybe you need one verse and you need to write it on a note card and you need to stick it in your pocket. You need to make it the home screen on your phone. You need to put it on a, on, on a piece of paper and stick it on the mirror in your bathroom. But we need to consume God's word and sharpen our swords. The, the, the next weapon, and, and this one is going to take me a little bit longer, so I'm going to try to go quick, is uh, praying in the spirit. Now, now, praying in the spirit is one of those, I could do a whole sermon on this. So the fact that I'm going to try to give it to you as one little point is probably disingenuous. I'm going to go ahead and warn you about that right now. Um, So we probably need to spend more time on this. We're going to spend little time on this and hopefully answer a few questions. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you're going to think what I'm reading is the opposite of what I'm trying to teach. And it kind of is. But what I want you to see is I want you to see what Paul talks about when he talks about the Spirit. Okay, so in the context of what I'm about to read, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, hey, this is how I don't want you to act in church. He's giving them a lesson on how to act and not act in the church service, in the gathering of believers. He is not talking to them about their private prayer life. Okay, but we're going to get into that. I want you to just just know that that's the context and and we'll we'll make it work. Verse two says. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will only be talking to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So, Paul's saying here, hey, speaking in tongues, not good for church because nobody understands what you're talking about. But here's what he's, here's what he's saying, though. I want you to notice, who is he saying you're going to talk to whenever you speak or pray in another language? Who am I talking to? God. When I'm in a spiritual battle, do I need to talk to Jay? No. Who do I need to talk to? God. And so what Paul is saying here is he's giving us, hey, this is how you should act and not act in church. But what we're going to draw from that is what happens whenever we pray in the spirit. When we pray in the spirit, I'm not praying for you. I'm not praying for Lawrence to hear me. When I pray in the Spirit, I'm praying for God to hear me. So let's keep going. Verse 3. 
But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Paul's making a case that prophecy is better than tongues in church. He's making a great case for it. It's wonderful. I love what Paul's saying. He says prophecy strengthens other people. Perfect. Good job, Paul. Verse 4. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. So when someone prays in the Spirit, who do they talk to? God. When someone prays in the Spirit, who is strengthened? They are. When I pray in the Spirit, I'm not strengthening Mary. I'm strengthening me. When I'm in the church service and I prophesy, I give a word from God. Who is being strengthened? Everyone that hears it. But when I'm in a spiritual battle, it's not about the church service. We're talking about a private battle. We're talking about something that's happening in my home. Whenever I'm in a spiritual battle, I need to be praying in the Spirit. Why? Because God hears it and I'm strengthened. I need to be strong. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't say in a spiritual battle, make sure that Lawrence is strong. He says, you have to be strong. Okay, verse 14, we'll skip down. Verse 14, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what should I do? I will pray in the spirit and I'll pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I'll sing in the words I understand. What Paul's saying here is he's given us a glimpse of what it means to what life is like in the church world. And we understand that in service, we get it. But he's also saying here is he's saying, listen, there's a place where you pray in the spirit that you may not understand what you're saying. And that doesn't mean you don't do it. It means you pray in the spirit and you pray in understanding. You do both. Whenever he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, listen, you got to know God's word and you got to pray in the spirit. You pray in the spirit. Whenever you're at home, when you're going through a battle, when you're in your car, whenever you don't know what to do, whenever you don't know how to pray. uh, the, The Bible also says that the spirit helps us pray when we don't know how to pray. Why? It's the spirit praying through us. We need to pray in the spirit. It's one of the greatest weapons that gets avoided in the church because of cessationalism. And we feel like we can't have prayer in the spirit because it died with the apostles. And there's no Bible for that. There's one verse that can be interpreted if you look at it with one eye closed and your head sideways. But I can do that with a lot of stuff and hurt everybody's feelings. Pray in the spirit. If you don't understand what that means or you can't grasp that concept, we can talk about it later. We'll pray about it, but pray in the spirit. The third thing, see what I'm saying? It's kind of a heavy topic to throw in as one point and then I got to skip it, right? I got to keep going. The third thing is this authority. This is the the next two points is where we're going to end authority and attitude. These are the last two things we talk about. and, And these are probably the most important things. I think most of us can get on board with the armor of God. I think most of us can because it's on a lot of t-shirts. It's on a lot of mugs, right? Like, like we can get on board with the armor of God. We can get on board with the word of God. And even if you're kind of iffy on the whole praying in the spirit thing, you're like, yeah, well, I can at least interpret it my own way, right? Like you can figure out some ways. But, but the authority and the attitude is, is where we're going to come into contact with, with our culture. We're going to come in contact with church culture of the day. And this is where we're going to have some conflicts. These are the areas, again, going back to our spectrum, right? These are the areas where we're going to have some struggles. In the, in, the, in the world of authority, one of the things I feel like, and when I was praying about this service, when I was praying for you this morning, one of the things I felt like is I felt like there are some people in the church that don't understand that they have authority in the spiritual. 
you and I can feel very weak sometimes in the spiritual. I'm not good enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. Uh, I don't know my Bible good enough. I don't pray good enough. I don't witness enough. Like we can start telling ourselves how much we're not good enough. But the fact is Jesus gave us authority in the spiritual. Now there's a lot of verses about this. For sake of time, I'm choosing one passage out of Luke chapter 10. But you can go to Mark chapter 16. You can go to Matthew chapter 28. You can go throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, and find out about the authority that Christ has given us. The Bible says that Christ has all authority, and all authority is given to us, right? So we've been given authority. So you need to understand that. Verse, uh, verse 18 of Luke 10. So Jesus has trained the disciples and sent the disciples out to do ministry. Two by two, they go out, they're doing ministry, and they've come back to Jesus now, and they're telling him of all the cool things that happened. They're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe this, but people were getting healed, and, and we were casting demons out. Like, it was the craziest stuff happened to us. And here's what Jesus says in verse 18. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, Jesus says, I've seen Satan's power already be broken. Right? He already got kicked out of heaven. Now Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross and he's about to break Satan's power completely. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Verse 19. Look, I have given you, who did he give authority to? Us. Authority over all the power of the enemy. Now does he, does he say over some of the power of the enemy? He says over all the power of the enemy. He says all powers, principalities, authorities in the unseen realm, everything Paul talks about. Jesus says you have authority over all of it, over the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, some folks are going to say, does that mean we're going to pull out some snakes in church? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't be cheering. you crazy. Now I know who's crazy. Throughout scriptures, the Bible talks about snakes and scorpions as demonic spirits. Throughout the scriptures, that's the comparison. Also ravens, if you, I mean, birds sometimes are demonic spirits. So, so that's, that's one, of, one thing. And he's talking about Satan and immediately talks about snakes and scorpions. He's talking about authority over the enemy and immediately talks about snakes and scorpions. Do you really think he's talking about snakes and scorpions? He's not. He's talking about spiritual powers. He's talking about demonic, evil, unclean spirits. And here's what he says. You'll crush them. You will crush them. He doesn't say you're going to battle with them for hours and hours on end. He doesn't say you're going to have long conversations with them. He says you will step on them and crush them like the bugs they are. Now, you think about that for a second. When was the last time you had a scorpion in your house? In Alabama, they're real small, right? We get scorpions in our house all the time. Well, we used to. I don't know why we don't anymore, but we used to get little scorpions in our house. And whenever the scorpions come in, here's what happened. I really got to go. One time, Perry, I was out of town. Perry put a cup over the scorpion. It was in the shower. She put a cup over the scorpion in the shower. When I got home from being out of town, the cup was still there with the scorpion. I picked up the cup, cup stepped on the scorpion, put him down the drain. It was over. For three days, she didn't take a shower because... what? <laughs> You went to another shower? Oh. For three days she showered at someone else's house? Is that what it was? No, another shower in our house. 
You have authority. Everybody say, I have authority. Here's the last one. And this is the other area where I think we get off. So sometimes we don't think we have authority, and you do. And you need to know that you've got spiritual authority. And the spiritual authority is not given to you by your works. It's given to you by Jesus Christ. If you have Christ, you have authority. Here's the next one. Is our attitude. Here's the attitude Christ wants us to have. If you keep going in Luke 10, we read 18, 19. Verse 20 is important. Listen to verse 20. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Jesus understood something. He understood if people start having and understanding their authority, what's going to happen is they're going to take it too far. They're going to recognize I've got spiritual authority and now their focus is going to be on evil spirits obeying them. Jesus says, no, it's not about evil spirits obeying you. It's about making sure you're born again. It's about making sure your name is in heaven. Like, let's worry about that and stop worrying about evil spirits that, that you have authority over. And so there's a difference there. Jesus is showing us the attitude that we shouldn't become enamored with this spiritual battle, right? We shouldn't become enamored with it. Instead, we should keep our focus on heaven where it belongs. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the attitude we have to have? Humble. Our attitude is not prideful. And one of the things I see a lot nowadays in the church is I see people that, that talk about spiritual warfare, and it's all about pride. It's all about their authority. It's all about what they've done. It's about how many notches they have in their spiritual belt. And there's no humility. Jesus never pursued a demon. He never pursued a, a, a spiritual battle. As a matter of fact, they all came to him. They all came to him. And every time they came to him, it wasn't a battle. He said, get out, and they were gone. Leave, and they were gone. The one time we kind of see um, the disciples pursue it was whenever there was one woman that was interrupting the gospel. And she was, because she was interrupting the gospel, they had to cast a demon out of her, and, and they did, and she was set free. But it was because she was bothering what was the most important thing, and that was the gospel. I'm just saying, don't let your attitude be caught up in spiritual war. Let your attitude be humble, and your attitude be about the gospel, and everything else becomes secondary. I want to end with this last verse. It's Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And I think this is huge. When we talk about the armor of God, what does this mean? It means this. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. What is the armor of God? The armor of God is Jesus Christ. There's some of us in the room today... And we may be saying, I'm not serving God today. I'm not a, I'm not a Christian today. And you're talking about the spiritual battle. And, and, and I'm, I'm not even sure about all this stuff. I'm kind of struggling. Can I tell you today, here's what you need to know. First and foremost, clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Serve Him. Submit to Him. Live for Him. 
Let Christ be your Lord and your Savior, first and foremost. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. What does that mean? It means it takes away the worry and the fear that the enemy tries to put in. Because when the enemy shoots fiery darts that that says, hey, you're too bad, you've done too much, you've sinned too many times, you can say, yeah, but Jesus forgave me every single time. His blood washes away my sins. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Why? Because he is truth. He is righteousness. He's the focus of the gospel. It's in him that I have faith. It's in him that I put my hope. He is the word made flesh. And he has all authority. Won't you stand up with me today? I've got a prayer team that's going to come down. There's people from our church that love you and care for you and just want to pray with you and help you through any spiritual battle today. There may be some of us today, we're struggling. We're struggling with a spiritual battle when it comes to our, our home. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a work issue. So there's some kind of spiritual battle. Maybe you're struggling with fear or anxiety or doubt. These are those fiery darts that the enemy shoots at, at us. Maybe you're struggling today with your attitude. Maybe you're struggling today with your authority that you just feel less than. You feel like you're a nobody and a nothing. And I want you to know today that you've got authority through Jesus Christ. You've got authority. So what we want to do is we want to offer you the opportunity to pray. And these guys behind me, they're going to sing one more song. As they sing that song, if you need prayer for anything, I want you to slip out from where you are, come down to the front, and let someone pray with you.